It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lee. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Daily Thunder. So we are knee-deep in a uh, fun series. Uh, It's called Spiritual Lessons from World War II. And the students that are here right now, if you're hearing this via podcast, have been here and you guys have had, except for the first week you were here, you've basically had a lot of World War II in Daily Thunder. But it's not just about World War II, it's about the spiritual truths of the soul engaged in a spiritual battle and how we uh, interact with truth. And so though we're talking about actual nations, uh, it's strange how those uh, nations uh, connect with us on the individual level. So this is part 15. It's called the Bordeaux Collapse. Uh, yeah, I, this, is, this is an intriguing one. I am extremely fascinated by this one. And the... I think I said this in maybe the last message I gave where I felt like I had to abandon it, uh, and this is the same way I feel in this one. It's like there's so much I want to cultivate in this, and you're going to recognize the same challenges of your soul are found in this, and there are going to be times of trial where you are in the midst of being tried, tested, and proven that you want to jump out of the fire before it's completed. And what's interesting is you would say, well, that's impossible. Well, it's impossible for a a piece of metal to do that, but it's not impossible for a human to do that. We as humans have the capacity to try and escape that which God is doing. To try and, you know, here we are carrying a cross, and it's, you know, God's trying to work a death in us, and we set down the cross and run for our life. And we have an enemy that's whispering, set it down, run for your life, get out of here. And it is a very palpable and real bait. So here we are, going to be back in 1940. We're going to have the exact situation at hand. You have this mighty French nation that, I mean, all the, you think about the days of Napoleon and just the, the military strength and dominance that this nation has had. And though in World War I, it came so close to buckling uh, against the, the German onslaught, it didn't. And it regained its composure and then in the end stomped out uh, Germany. And so then that's, of course, one of the reasons why we even have World War II is because the French were really upset and took it to the Germans in the Treaty of Versailles and punished them dearly. Now the Germans aren't too happy. So, but we still, it's the mighty French nation, right? They're a military stronghold in the earth, and the Germans are going to knock them down as if they're a house of cards. What is happening here is extremely interesting. I'm calling this the Bordeaux Collapse. It's actually just a phrase that Winston Churchill uses for what's going to happen in Bordeaux, France in uh, June of 1940. But what I want to do is I want to challenge our souls to recognize that when we go through challenge, when we're going through difficulty, which by the way is innate and inerrant in life, that there's a proper way of handling it and then there's an improper way. And the improper way always leads to disaster. Though in the moment it looks like you are saving yourself, it actually causes a destruction. And with each of our little tests that we have in life, where God is saying, bear with me, rejoice. I want you to have my attitude in the midst of this. There is still the tendency to want to flee 
the difficulty as opposed to embrace the challenge. God has given us each an assignment, and that's to stand for truth in this generation. So when the difficulties come, how are we going to stand amidst it? So this is from Streams in the Desert, you know, one of my favorite devotionals, maybe my favorite devotional. Uh, I, I have three devotionals that I always have pop up on my screen every day, and that's Streams in the Desert, uh, Morning and Evening, Charles Spurgeon's uh, devotionals, and then uh, My Utmost for His Highest, Oswald Chambers. So this is in Streams in the Desert. This is said by a village blacksmith. That's all I know, is that he was a village blacksmith. So I gave a picture of a village blacksmith there, just so that you guys have a visual to go with it. There is only one thing that I fear, says this village blacksmith, and that is to be thrown on the scrap heap. When I am tempering a piece of steel, I first heat it, hammer it, and then suddenly plunge it into this bucket of cold water. I very soon find whether it will take temper or go to pieces in the process. When I discover after one or two tests that it is not going to allow itself to be tempered, I throw it on the scrap heap and sell it for a cent a pound when the, when the junk man comes around. I don't know how you're handling the heat, the hammer, and the sudden plunge into the bucket of cold water. <laughs> There's nothing that sounds enjoyable about any of that process. The heat, the hammer, and the sudden plunge into a bucket of cold water. Whew! And a lot of steel does not handle it well, and it splinters, or it, it, it breaks into pieces. And so the blacksmith will give it another shot and say, okay, let's, let's try this again. And if it still is splintering, it'll give it another shot. And, you know, if it's not going to take a temper, then it is going to be thrown into the scrap heap. This is not going to work for the purposes of the blacksmith. And so I don't know if you guys feel the weight of that in your own soul, but we are being tempered. We are being shaped by the living God. It's called sanctification. You know, and it goes through, John 15 doesn't use the, the, the picture of a blacksmith, it uses the picture of, of a vine dresser and a, and a branch and a, and a, and a vine. And uh, that the, the husbandman that loves and wants to bring forth fruit is going to trim back, he's going to prune back that, uh, that, those branches pretty stoutly. And it's similar, and a lot of us don't handle it well. In other words, oh, we want Jesus, but we don't want that. In France, you're going to see the same thing in 1940. We want France, and we want our peace, but we don't want to have to fight this battle. And so as a result, you're going to see a collapse that is going to take place. They are so sensitized because of what happened in the World War I, which was supposed to be the war to end all wars, that psychologically they are vulnerable to collapse right now. And the same thing can happen in us when we go through trials when we go through difficulties, it like super sensitizes us to avoid them the next go around. And so when war is coming and it looks like they're, they're losing, it makes a lot more sense to just enter into some kind of peace negotiation with Hitler. And the same thing is true with us, a peace negotiation with the devil in this world. It's just a lot easier if we're not fighting battles. Can we just have an armistice? So what does it take? Well, I want that land, I want, this, I want your future, I want your hope, I want all your desires, and I want your Christian devotion to be tepid. And if you stay in this little territory here, which is gonna be called Vichy France as the war uh, progresses, which is the tepid zone that is a puppet to Hitler, as long as you stay here and you don't mess with what we're doing, hey, we'll let you live. And believe it or not, 
The French government is going to go for this. So Bordeaux, France, June 16th, 1940. Will France go to pieces? The heat, the hammer, and the sudden plunge into a bucket of cold water, what's going to happen to France? Well, it's going to go to pieces, literally. So here's France, and I, I didn't dig enough to give you what I would like, because you see the Vichy France part, the blue part at the bottom? You have to act like that doesn't exist yet, okay? Because that's going to exist in the very, very near future. But we're on June 16, 1940, it's just France. So that blue part and the green part would all be one together. And that's France. You see the English Channel up there just to the north, and you see Great Britain. You see Germany uh, dangerously near uh, on the, the right side of the screen. You see ne Netherlands, which we're typically going to call Holland, and then Belgium. And uh, so you see this, this setup for uh, disaster. And this is, this is after the attack in 1940. Uh, that the way the map is set up right here. But look at the top you're gonna of France, you're going to see Paris. That's the seat of government, uh, where it's always been, right? But once the Germans invade, the, the government is going to find their, uh, their seat of government for the time being in Bordeaux. That's where their meetings are going to be because they lost Paris. Okay, so they're fleeing for their lives. And so they're down in Bordeaux, and that's where this important meeting is going to take place, just like in our soul. There's some important meetings. You've ever had one of those important meetings in your soul where you, you're going to make a key decision for your life and you are being baited to give up on something that you know is the right thing to do, but for so many reasons, you're pondering letting go of that clear vision. You saw something on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was clear. Jesus Christ is the, is the king of all kings. He was transfigured before you, but then you came down into the valley and you got a crazy man around you. It's like, this is, I didn't sign up for this. It's the classic quote that the enemy is going to whisper in your ear. You didn't sign up for this. And you're like, I didn't sign up for this. Are you sure about that? Are you sure you didn't sign up for a battle of battles, for the war of wars? Are you sure you didn't? There were two. Doesn't that sound familiar in the whole Christian life? There's always twos, you know, like we have, uh, as Jesus is going to divide to his left, he's going to put the goats and to his right, the sheep, He's going to have the tares, and he's going to have the wheat. And there's always these twos, and we see them all throughout Scripture. As those of you that have been uh, taught here at Ellerslie know, there's always two. And in France, there are two distinct parties forming in the midst of this trial. And they're called the defeatists. I don't think they called themselves that, by the way. History calls them that. <laughs> Could you imagine? Yes, I, I would like to be one of the defeatists. No one ever chooses that title. That's what history is going to refer to them as. They believed that France was defeated. They, they, it was a foregone conclusion that if they didn't do something now, they would become slaves uh, of Hitler's regime. And so it's better to make a deal with Hitler than to be his slave. Right? It's better to be on peace terms with him and then, it, then opposed to you know, what could happen. And then you have the others in France, which we could call, now I'm making up this name because there isn't really a good name for it other than the revolutionaries, uh, would be to the very enders. <laughs> in other words, I don't care. We are not going to just give up. We are not going to roll over and play dead. We still have a nation. We still have all our Commonwealth countries. We ha still have one of the strongest navies in the world. We still have Great Britain. America could still come into this war. Let us not give up hope. Okay, so you have to the very enders. 
This battle is what wages inside of us. And I tell you what, I've come to that point in my soul multiple times where I have a very clear deal from the enemy. It's sitting in front of me. And if I would just shut up, the devil would leave me alone. Okay? These are like deals. In, in fact, I don't know if I've ever said this. This is going to sound weird. Uh, in, in, okay, I'll just sound weird. Back in the very beginning of our ministry, bless you, uh, back in the very beginning of our ministry, we were hit with such a wave of difficulty that was unprecedented in our life. And it was overwhelming to the point where I didn't know if I could keep going. God had given us an assignment. It was a very clear assignment to stand in this generation on, a, on some very specific topics. And we had open doors. We had invites all over the world. That's not an exaggeration. I mean, it was like open doors. However, every time we traveled, Leslie would get sick. And every time we would travel, we would have some crisis in our life. Like, it was so difficult. And I knew that it was directly associated with us standing. And so the devil made me a deal. It was like on the side, sort of like what you're going to see happen with the French government. It's like, hey, psst, Ludi, you give up this message, I'll let go of you. You see, I didn't understand my authority in Christ. I didn't understand my position. I didn't understand how these things worked. All I knew is that that made total sense. And so I sat down with Leslie's parents, Leslie and I, we both discussed it, we're giving this up. And so we were talking to Leslie's parents, we were just going to make the announcement, I think they thought we were going to announce that we were pregnant, but <laughs> we're like, we have an important thing to talk with you about, so we're sitting there, this is totally opposite direction of what they were expecting, we're like, we're, gi we're giving up the ministry, we're walking away from it. I mean, that's literally how plain spoken I was, let's just get down to brass tacks. And, I and this is what I said. I feel like the devil has is, is made it clear. If we will just let go of this message, he'll let go of us. Okay, now, to you in this audience right now, you might be like, are you bargaining with the devil? Well, that's what Rich and Janet, Leslie's parents, were wondering too. This is what Janet says to me, one of the key moments in my life. Eric, he's lying to you. You know too much, and he wants you dead, and he will not stop until you are killed. Don't buy it. So I suddenly stand up with my fists, you know, engaged, and I'm like, ah, we are not giving this up. I needed to be told truth in that moment. You see, in the, there's going to be moments in your life where you're very fragile and vulnerable to be in that house of cards. That gust of wind comes up, and you just don't feel like you're made of the substance to handle it. And another time, when we started Ellerslie, it was all-out war, and I, I don't know that I've gone through any of those stories, and they're, they're not the most pleasant for me to even share, but wow, we, uh, we stirred something. We prodded some beast when we started doing this. I mean, we were speaking to thousands of people a week when we were traveling around the world uh, with our public platform. You would think that the devil would be happy to get us out of that and here, where we're speaking to you know, 50 to 100 typically in a long-term setting. It's like, come on, that's, that's such little impact comparatively, but I tell you what, we prodded the enemy uh, in the rear end when we started doing this, and he was not happy about it. And so we had quite the battle that we were engaged in. In that first year of Ellerslie, oh, there were so many times I just wanted to get out. Just like, let me out. The fire was so hot. It was the fire, the hammer, and then the sudden plunge into a bucket of cold water. And I remember at the very end, I was given a deal. I was given an offering. At the end of the year, the, the devil was like clapping his hands. This is literally how I would describe it, if I could. Because I don't have conversations with the devil, just so you guys know. I don't go, hey devil, let's talk. 
However, it's interesting because he talks my direction a lot. And it was like I could almost hear the mocking voice, his clap. Well done. Well done, Ludi. You got me. You got me. You did it. You built this thing. Well done. I'm impressed. Not many people are able to pull that off. Now, let me tell you something. I'll let you have your little Ellerslie. But if you take one more step forward, if you defy me at any other level, I'm going to bring everything in the kitchen sink against you. By the way, that's very appealing to stop in such a situation. When you feel that haunting voice that says, look, you have not tasted yet of what I can do. Now the question is, who are you going to listen to? What voice are you going to listen to? So I sat down with my staff and I said, guys, I feel like there's a deal on the table. The devil will leave us alone, supposedly, if we just sort of mind our own business and keep the territory that we've gained so far. And basically, there's a thread on the table that says if we take more territory, he's going to bring all hell against us. And then they're all wondering, why am I talking with the devil? You know, this type of thing. <laughs> and I said, here's my conclusion. We're moving forward. I don't care what the devil says. You see, I'd learned something from my younger years, and that is don't negotiate peace with Hitler. And so in my older years, one thing I've learned is don't negotiate peace with Hitler. Okay, now for us, it's not Hitler, but it might as well be. Because France is going to negotiate peace with Hitler. Great Britain it will not. That's the difference between Neville Chamberlain and Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill is like, we will not enter into any negotiations. I will not even talk with that man. No, he is sided against that which is good Therefore, he is sided against Great Britain. And as a result, what you see is a resolution and a resolve. That resolution and resolve was not clear in France, and you're going to see the house of cards fall. June 16, 1940, so this is over across the English Channel in Great Britain. The war cabinet of Great Britain sat until 6 o'clock that evening. They were in a state of unusual emotion. The fall and the fate of France dominated their minds. Our own plight and what we should have to face and face alone seem to take a second place. Grief for our ally and her agony and desire to do anything in human power to aid her was the prevailing mood. So the war cabinet in Great Britain is willing to do whatever it takes to keep France afloat. This is a huge deal. And without France, of course, it's going to be nearly impossible to win the war. But also, this is an entire nation that is standing for the same ideals that they are. And so they're feeling it as if it's themselves. And they're willing to do whatever it takes. So they're going to come up with a proposal for a union, which is a French-Anglo union between Great Britain and France. And they're going to propose it, which would give some incredible opportunities for France to think outside the box of how they could approach staying in this battle and staying in this war. There was also the overpower and importance of making sure of the French fleet some days beforehand, we had evolved a declaration for a Franco-British Union, common citizenship, joint organs for defense, foreign financial and economic policy, and so forth. So they've created this elaborate thing of saying, hey, uh, if France could understand this, we will stand with you. We will not leave you. And here's how we can deal with the Navy. Here's how you can find these ports for your ships. So even if Germany comes in and takes your country, at least France can still exist, and we will fight with you to take back that territory. 
So with the object, apart from its general merits of giving Monsieur Renaud, I can never say his name, Paul Renaud, if I were to say it in an English sense, some new fact of a vivid and stimulating nature with which to carry a majority of his cabinet into a move to Africa and the continuance of a war. See, France had, I think it was Al Algeria, in, in France, in, in Africa, and so they could literally move their government, their military there, and then station themselves to build up an attack with Great Britain. So it's like, hey, we can do this together. And Renaud, the, the, the key leader at the time of France, is in agreement with, with uh, Churchill, and he's saying, okay, let's do this. So I need to take this proposal that Great Britain has and bring it. The same thing is going to happen in our souls, okay? God has truth for us. He has a, what we could call a rescue plan, salvation. He has everything we need for deliverance, everything. The question is, in that moment of trial, we oftentimes, we don't oftentimes, we always have two. Do you remember I gave you the illustration of fact, faith, and experience? Boy, that, this is exactly the same situation. You have a plan of deliverance that is sound and reasonable, but then you have a lot of noise over here. You have the boastings of Hitler, and you have seen what he has done to the other governmental leaders that have chosen to defy him. And as a result, you're trembling in your boots emotionally. And all you want is peace. Remember World War I? Remember World War I? Remember World War I? We do not want to be back in that for four or five years. And so as a result, you see the pathetic nature of the current state of the government in, in France being exhibited. I now set out on another, yet another mission to France. A special train was waiting at Waterloo. We could reach Southampton in two hours, and a night of steaming at 30 knots in a cruiser would bring us to our rendezvous by noon on the 17th. So this is all happening in this time. That's why I'm giving you dates. June 16th to June 17th, you're going to see something happen in world history that is going to, I mean, be threaten us to literally come under the Nazi boot of the entire world. I mean, this is like a huge moment in history. We had taken our seats in the train. My wife had come to see me off. There was an odd delay in starting. Evidently, some hitch had occurred. Presently, my private secretary arrived from Downing Street, breathless with the following message from Sir Ronald Campbell, our ambassador at Bordeaux. This is his message. Ministerial crisis is opened. Hope to have news by midnight. Meanwhile, meeting arranged for tomorrow. Impossible. On this, I returned to Downing Street with a heavy heart. Remember, this is intervention. They recognize that this, there is a crisis and France is about to fall. Their current minister, uh, Paul Renault, wants to fight on. He wants to keep going, but the weight of the government leaders around him could easily overwhelm him like a wave. And so Churchill wants to get there and throw the weight of Great Britain behind this. The baffling forfeiture of hope. When feelings take the lead and facts fall off the table. This is such an interesting study because for me, I have felt my way through decision making in my life at times. Bad idea. <laughs> Don't feel your way through making decisions. You work off of faith. Anything that is not of faith is sin. And so as a result, we have the word of God on the matter and we believe it. And so we reason in accordance with that, not with how we feel. Because if you go by how you feel, wow, you become very vulnerable to making life-altering bad decisions. France, and I'm calling this the baffling forfeiture of hope. They have hope. 
And in Great Britain, they have hope at this exact time. They're thinking, we can still do this. They're rallying together saying, we can still hold up France. We can still move France into this position. We can get their navy here, dock it here, and then we can join together and we can still win this thing. They have hope, but France is losing sight of it. Of course, if you get into France's shoes, you can understand. I mean, their, their borders are taken. Paris has fallen. You can feel it if you're French. And you see, you see the videos and the, the films of the, the Germans marching through the streets of your capital and, in a sense, desecrating your homeland. You could feel the sense of hopelessness creeping in. However, they are going to forfeit the hope because their feelings are going to start taking the lead as opposed to facts. They can't even see facts. In fact, they're going to be so blurred over, they can't even hear them. In fact, when the, Franco, uh, the Franco-British, I forgot what the term is, pact, is going to be read to them, they won't even hear it. It's like, don't read it. We don't even want to hear it. They don't even want to hear what Great Britain has to offer. How many of us would do the same? It's like the word of God. What does the word of God say? I don't care. This is what I feel. I don't want this anymore. I can't handle this difficulty anymore. But the word of God, I don't care what the word of God says. And as a result, when feelings begin to take that lead, it leads to a Bordeaux collapse. So we're in Bordeaux, France, June 16th, 1940. So remember the same day that the war cabinet is fighting for their life to figure out how they can help France. And they're negotiating something. They're figuring out something. They come up with this French-British pact. And that's why, that's why Hitler, that's why Churchill is getting on the train and he's going to get to a steamer and he's going to cross the channel to get to France by the next day. So two key characters. We're going to have Philip Patan, who I'm going to call the doubter. And I'm going to have Paul Renault. I wish I could say my French a little better, the believer. Okay, we're going to have two, two key characters. Uh, Philip Patan, here's what's interesting, is this guy was the champion of the world of World War I, one of the greatest heroes in French history. Militarily speaking, he defied the Germans in World War I. In World War II, the guy is going to be the house of cards. He's going to personify it. And I mean, he even looks like a tough guy, but this guy is going to collapse and melt. The other guy doesn't look as tough, but he's the tough guy. He's the believer, Paul Renaud. So the crisis we're going to face is Philip Paton, his, he's going to have a whole coalition behind him, okay? So I'm going to give quotes to Paton that actually didn't always come out of his mouth. A lot of them did, but they came from all of those around him, and he amended them, if we could say it that way. So France is finished is the conclusive statement. It's finished. We must enter into peace negotiations right now. We cannot keep fighting. We must relinquish our hold on this and give up to Hitler. So that's the Patan side. The renowned side is France has hope. You see the tension here? France has hope. Do not collapse, guys. Do not give in to this. So the, I changed the, the words at the bottom. Patan says we must come to terms with Hitler. Renaud says we must come to terms with Great Britain. <laughs> You see the difference? It's sort of like, we must come to terms with the devil. We must come to terms with God. I mean, let, who, who are you going to believe? This is your ally. God is your ally. The devil is a liar. You don't come to terms with a liar. You come to terms with your deliverer. I know everything looks dark right now. Remember the Syrophoenician woman? She knows that Jesus has the answer, and so she comes to him and begins to plead her case, and he ignores her. 
And the disciples are getting fed up with this woman who will not be quiet. And so they say, hey, should we send her away? And finally, Jesus speaks up and says, hey, I didn't come for you. I came for the lost sheep of Israel. I mean, that, if there was ever a reason to give up, that would be a pretty good one. However, do not lose hope. That woman still said, hey, I'll eat the crumbs from the table if necessary, but I know you have the solution. You see, faith will not relent in giving up. It will hold on and say, as great as your faith, woman. You see, he recognizes there is a test that is required. The Bordeaux challenge comes to each one of us where there is a real voice screaming on this side of the ledger saying, give up, there's no hope. It's real, and it's loud. The Patan form of government and his coalition is big, and actually they are gaining the sway, as you'll ultimately see, they will win. However, the truth is there. You know what's interesting is if those same people could take a step back and see what was on the table without their emotion, they would recognize that was the dumbest decision they ever made. However... (laughs) Their emotion was leading. So Philip Patan, famous quote that is going to come out of this debate. He says, to make union with Great Britain is fusion with a corpse. They're going to they're die too. So why would we unite with them? They're just going to go down too. This is our opportunity to make peace with Hitler right now. Great Britain's going to go down. You know how bad that statement looks in history, (laughs) especially since Winston Churchill's Great Britain is going to defy it and win, which is just beyond all odds, and yet this is the mentality. This is the way we think, too. I'm not going to ally with that. The church is going down. Look at persecution breaking out. I'm I'm not siding with the church right now. You see, this is going to come back to haunt him in the future, as I will show you. What does Renaud say? So this is the voice of hope. We can still fight. We can still continue. We can move our government and our naval forces to Africa. We can unite with Great Britain and win this thing. And all of you are like, yeah, yeah, because we want to be a part of the renowned government. We don't want to be the Patan government. The Vichy government, which is going to form as a result of this, is mocked all the world over to this day as the puppet of Hitler. There is nothing good that is going to come out of it. It is held in contempt by all Frenchmen throughout history now. I mean, so this is, this guy would be the hero if they would just listen to this voice. Patan says, in three weeks, England will have her neck wrung like a chicken. Okay, imagine how the British uh, feel about Patan. And then listen to Renaud. When they're saying, we need to make a deal with Hitler. He says, I prefer to collaborate with my allies rather than with my enemies. I mean, isn't that just the statement of our soul right now? What are you going to go with? Your emotion? The circumstances? You're going to go with the truth. It makes more sense to ally with your ally than ally with your enemy. Philip Patan, his... I don't think this was actually a quote from Patan. It's one of his guys, okay? So I'm giving it to him because he's still responsible for it. Better to be a Nazi province. At least we know what that means. Whew. Better to be subservient to sin. At least we know what that means. We don't know what God's going to do with us. Okay, that's a dangerous mentality. So the Bordeaux collapse. Paul ran out, out. He's booted out of the government. He's going to actually turn in his resignation. 
as a result of this. Patan is going to come in and lead the nation. And what's he going to do? He's going to lead them straight to Hitler for peace talks. He wants an armistice. He is going to forsake France. He's going to give up most of France to be occupied by the Germans. And he is going to be gifted this territory, which will be called Vichy France, which is innocuous. Basically, it has no power. And it's a puppet regime of Hitler. So Winston Churchill said, we are assured that Renaud's statements of our proposal was never put to a vote in the council. It collapsed of itself. This was a personal and fatal reverse for the struggling premier, who is Renaud, which marked the end of his influence and authority upon the council. At about eight o'clock, Renaud, utterly exhausted by the physical and mental strain to which he had for so many days been subjected, sent his resignation to the president. The Bordeaux collapse. Philip Patton is going to become a Nazi puppet. Paul Renaud is actually going to be taken prisoner and he's going to be moved. He's going to be in a prison in Germany. Could you imagine? This guy who stood for France is actually going to be imprisoned uh, because he stood up for the, the continued, he was a never-ender at all costs guy. Winston Churchill, for with Marshal Patton, formed a French government with the main purpose of seeking an immediate armistice from Germany. Late on the night of June 16th, the defeatist group, of which he was the head, was already so shaped and knit together that the process did not take long. The sad end of Patan. Now, it's a strange thing when you become a leader. I mean, your, your position you've always wanted. You're this head of France. I mean, what a great position. Yeah, but you sold your soul to get it, and to the point where you have to actually cheer against the allies, because if the allies win, what's gonna happen? You're gonna be tried for treason. So he's cheering against the allies in World War II. Think about that. Well, what are the allies trying to do? Free France from German occupation. And so that's when you know something's gone wrong, when you have to actually cheer against those that are trying to help France. Okay, that's a bad situation. The sad end of Patan. After the war, Patan was tried and convicted for treason. He was originally sentenced to death. But due to his age and World War I service, his sentence was commuted to life in prison. He died in 1951. Well, that's sort of a sad story. This guy was the great hero of Verdun, Battle of Verdun in World War I. I mean, it's an extraordinary tale. I mean, one of the most amazing in world history of war. I mean, it's amazing, and he is going to have that as his end. All you want to say is, let that be a lesson to all of us, guys, that even though we have walked faithfully and believed that there is still a temptation to turn and to forsake that which we know to be true. Trials will test us, but are we, when we get the heat and the hammer and that cold splash of water upon us, how do we handle the temper? Are we going to bust to pieces or are we going to hold together and become stronger as a result? So what you're going to see is German occupation as a result. This is going to be the negotiations between Patan, the Patan government newly formed because of the Bordeaux collapse, and Hitler. Hitler is basically going to take all that yellow, okay? All of that, he's basically going to say, this is what I want. I am going to give you, as part of the nego negotiations, this free zone. See that blue over there? You see the slightly greenish blue? That's going to be Italy's take. Italy is going to grab that part of France. 
and Germany is going to take the other part, and the Patan government is going to have a puppet regime in the middle that can basically do nothing. And so you see that line of red? That is the threat territory that Germany is setting up so that it cannot lose its newly acquired territory. And so Vichy, you see Vichy as a city in the free zone of the blue. That is going to become the new capital city of France throughout this time. So when you say Vichy, even if you search Vichy on the internet, you usually don't get the most positive comments about it. In other words, it's a betrayal. It's a treasonous capital government. And so the French aren't too happy about it. So I love this. This is like inspiring to me. Now, there is so many politics in this that I may not even agree with. If we were to start looking at their political sides, how they viewed things, I am not going to say that I would stand with anyone involved. I have no idea. and That's actually not at all what I have attempted to study in this is political views and how they deemed things. Uh, you know, because it's funny, Hitler would be the classic conservative and uh, Stalin would be the classic liberal. But I wouldn't Want if I'm a I wouldn't want to be called a conservative if it's going to be lumped in with Hitler. You've got to be kidding. He's an extreme. He's a hyper of something to the point where he is going to eradicate anything that would soil the purity of his nation. You see that? He's after purity. Well, so am I. Not that way. <laughs> that's, that's not the purity I'm talking about. You're going to see Stalin with the same issues. He is going to exterminate anyone that doesn't side with his issues. The hypers lead to killing. Have you ever noticed in our country, have you noticed that people are starting to go hyper? Have you noticed that, the, you know, well, if you're conservative, you have a tendency to see hyper liberals, right? And you're like, those liberals, they want, they want Trump dead. Uh-huh. Well, what's unusual about that? Because have you noticed that the hyper conservatives, they wanted Hillary dead? Remember the election? Same thing. It's a hyper, and it's actually extremely dangerous. It is toxic that is an entrance of the enemy into our viewpoints. In this, I'm not trying to make a commentary on political uh, decisions and political views. I'm saying this is the state of a country against evil, standing against evil as a country. They had the opportunity to defy it, and they collapsed and joined it, okay? But there was a man, Renaud is going to be captured and imprisoned, okay? He was doing something noble. There's this other man, he's, he's, he's a general in the military, and he wants to fight even if France falls, he wants to fight, but there's no way you can do it because if you still are a never, en or, well, I forgot what I called them, uh, never give in, never give inners, but it was like never end, what was it? Never enders. Whatever, it, if you're going to be one of those, you're going to be in prison because you're going to be a threat to the government. And so de Gaulle, well, I just gave away his name. Charles de Gaulle is his name. So on the same day, we have June 17th, 1940. I say the great escape of the man of French resistance. So the French resistance is going to continue on outside of the country. And it's going to be led by a man named Charles de Gaulle who will come back and take the lead in his country after the war. But it's, it's inspiring. It really is. It's a good story. So how's he going to get out of the country, though? So there, there's a picture of a young Charles de Gaulle. He's like six foot five, I think. Just this huge man. I, I never thought about that in my mental picture of Charles de Gaulle. He was always sort of short in my mind. And then he's like, wow, he, and he does look sort of big, even in the picture there. That morning, this is Winston Churchill talking. That morning I had mentioned to my colleagues in the cabinet a telephone conversation which I had during the night with General Spears. So General Spears is over in Bordeaux right now. 
And so he's recognizing, okay, there's a fall of France happening before my very eyes. They're collapsing. The government is changing. Everyone that is hostile to this negotiation with Hitler is now going to become a political prisoner. So General Spears is leaving. <laughs> and so he has, uh, uh, Winston Churchill has a conversation with General Spears uh, the, the night before, or that morning. He says, that morning I had mentioned to my colleagues in the cabinet a telephone conversation which I had during the night with General Spears, who said he did not think he could perform any useful service in the new structure at Bordeaux. He spoke with some anxiety about the safety of General de Gaulle. Spears had apparently been warned that as things were shaping, it might be well for de Gaulle to leave France. I readily assented to a good plan being made for this. So that very morning, the 17th, de Gaulle went to his office in Bordeaux, made a number of engagements for the afternoon. So what, what is he doing? He's actually scheduling engagements for the afternoon. He is acting like everything is normal. And as a blind, or as a blind, he scheduled this, and this to throw everyone off. And then drove to the airfield with his friend Spears to see Spears off. So he's going to be sending Spears off because that's the duty of you know, a French general in this situation is to make sure the, the proper uh, you know, show of honor is there. They shook hands and said goodbye. And as the plane began to move, de Gaulle stepped in and slammed the door. The machine soared off into the air while the French police and officials gaped. De Gaulle carried with him in this small aeroplane the honor of France. That's a, that's a pretty good story. I, I like it. In other words, you see a guy that is choosing at the risk of his own life. What is he doing? He's leaving his homeland. He's going to actually set up shop in London during the war. Now, remember, everyone else in France thinks London's going to fall. How's that going to benefit de Gaulle to go to London? If London, if Great Britain's going to have its neck wrung like a chicken in three weeks, you have to recognize de Gaulle believes that there is hope. And as a result, he's going to go to the center of where the battle is so he can have influence. He can work with uh, Churchill to actually regain the territory of France for the truth instead of for the lie. Fascinating uh, progression of events. There's all sorts of great stories of de Gaulle and Churchill while de Gaulle is in London because de Gaulle is very French and Churchill is very British. And the French and the British don't get along very well. So it's some great story, but they really respect each other. <laughs> it's, pre it's pretty funny. <coughs> decisions, decisions, decisions. We have to make decisions in our life too. And the key question I'm laying before you, remember I've already said fact, faith, and experience multiple times that fact is like Jesus. It doesn't have any lie in it, no exaggeration in it. And it's able to pull off the impossible. And when faith fixes its gaze on the facts, it too will pull off the impossible. But there is another voice that stands behind that is always clawing at the shirt sleeve of faith saying, hey, you have to consider me. And that is emotion and experience. So, well, they have a lot of experience in war, in fighting the Germans. And they have a lot of emotion. And it is stirring within them. And then they've also had some experience very lately of a collapse, so their military is too weak to hold off and to stave off this blitzkrieg of Hitler. And so as a result, you see the emotion swelling. You see the truth being buried. They have hope, just like you do. In every situation, I don't care how dark it gets, and I wish you could just take this as a capsule with you, and you could just sort of you know, pop it in your mouth at the very moment you need it. There is always hope. The truth of Jesus Christ never leaves us without hope. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how dank the prison cell is. I don't care how many tens of thousands are surrounding you and you're all by your lonesome without a weapon. There is never an absence of hope with Jesus on that throne. 
So in every situation, in every decision, you need to remember the facts. You need to not allow the emotion to sway you away from truth. So here we have, we have the three in front of us. If you're getting this via podcast, I have three flags on the screen. France is in the middle, sort of in that faith position where it has to choose what it's going to look to. Is it going to look to Great Britain? Is it going to ally with Great Britain and continue to work side by side to win? Or is it going to ally with Nazi Germany and turn against Great Britain in the process? You see, when we ally with a lie, we are fighting against the truth. So I'm going to, instead of it being France in the middle, we're going to make it you, me, and we're going to have a statesman and a traitor. Are you going to choose to be a statesman in the kingdom of heaven and to stand for the truth of Jesus Christ as its representative in this earth? Or are you going to become a traitor and a pawn for the enemy? Call yourself a Christian, but use your pulpit to present very odd uh, truths, odd notions that are anything but truth. I should put quotes around the truth there. In other words, you're going to be a traitor to the truth? You're going to be a statesman and stand up for it. How about are you going to fight or are you going to give up? Are you going to trust or are you going to doubt? Jesus Christ says, John 8, 31 through 32, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You see, when we abide in that fact, in that truth, we are his disciples. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You want to be delivered? France, I recognize you're up against the wall. You want to be delivered? Put your hope and your trust in Christ. This is for all of us in every situation. The Bordeaux collapse is an international event that is going to shape the history of the world. For us, our situation might not seem that grand, but it shapes the history of our life, which can shape the history of the world. Great men and great women are made in such Bordeaux situations. As Charles de Gaulle, he is willing to leave house and home, country, and go straight into the teeth of the battle. He knows, everyone knows, that Germany is going to attack London in the very near future. Where does, where does de Gaulle go? He goes to London. You see, where are we willing to go? Right into the center of Christ. Where does Christ go? To the cross? To the grave? I mean, these aren't fun places, right? Yeah, but you want to finish the sentence, don't you? And to the right hand of majesty. You see, yes, there's a cross in our future. Yes, there's difficulty. But yes, there's triumph. Father, oh, how we need you. Lord, I pray that you would rivet us to your truth, that we would not be passive in our inner man, but that we would be aggressive to believe and that we would be willing to leave house and home, country land, to go right into the teeth of the battle if necessary for your glory, honor, and praise. Lord, may we be found as the French resistance. May we be the kingdom resistance. May we not give up hope in a world where it seems that hope has been shortchanged. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would see the realities of your word afresh today and that we would ally with it. That we would freshly rekindle our relationship with those words of truth, with those promises of scripture, with the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And we would stand firm in this hour. It's in the precious name we pray. 
Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.